Welcome again to A Pastor and His People. Uh, this is Pastor Dave Kane again with uh, Keith and Sharon Doster. Uh, the first time we kind of talk a little bit more about your uh, your life and, um, you know, your kind of call to ministry, um, how you guys have dealt with various trials and the sustaining power of the Lord. Uh, this one, I really just kind of want to talk about your ministry, uh, your ministry serving as um, uh, a pastor in Pennsylvania, and then your ministry now, uh, primarily with uh, Grace Death Mission. So, why don't you go back again? So you you pastored a church in Pennsylvania for seven years. My first church was seven years with Village Missions. Um, they sent us there. We when they told us where we were going, Pennsylvania Furnace. That I was a little concerned about that. Uh, didn't know why they called it Furnace, but uh, it it was a little village where there was a pig iron furnace way back in the 1860s. And uh, so we were there for seven years. We left there. And started a church from scratch in 1999, which I pastored until 2017. What was the name of that church? Grace Fellowship Church. Okay. Uh, we were we were a Southern Baptist church. We were one of the few Southern Baptist churches in Central Pennsylvania, um, and uh, it was it was a small congregation. We never grew past. I, I think we might have. There was a time when we we um, merged for one year with another fellowship that had split off from a church, and so during that year we were maybe I don't know fifty or sixty people. But then then they went away, and so the the church, the original church, never really grew past twenty or twenty five. Which is people may not know this, but the, uh, the the majority of Southern Baptist churches in America are under 100 people, right? Yes. I mean, there's there's, a, there's some very, very large churches, but the average church is probably about 75 members. Right. So, right. And uh, I, I guess the, the thing that really, there's always a temptation to be discouraged when you, you go to church and uh, so-and-so's sick and somebody's visiting their grandmother and so the, you know, the congregation of 20 is now 12. And that's, that's extremely discouraging especially when it just seems to never change. Um, but I felt that my task was just to remain faithful, to, to uh, you know, keep my hand to the plow and trust the Lord for growth or no growth, whatever he chose to do with it. Um, what was a, a challenge just kind of ministering in more of a rural community? Like a particular, because of course, you know, Rock Hill is not necessarily rural. I wouldn't say it's urban, but maybe it's growing urban, kind of near, being near Charlotte. Yeah. And there's different challenges being in more of an urban center versus being more on a, on a rural community. What did you find some of the challenges, particularly for the gospel in that rural setting? I think generally speaking, people in rural settings are, they think of themselves as being more moral than all those evil people in the big cities, you know. <laughs> um, and so they can they can attend church and feel real good about it without necessarily believing the gospel. Uh, and that, that's a challenge. To, to help good people understand that they're sinners, that they're not good. Um, that, that, was, that was one of the challenges that uh, we had in our first church. But um, 
with with the second church that we started, I guess the greatest challenge was just distance. Uh, that particular congregation was so spread out from each other that um, it was hard for us to really have a s- significant relationships with each other. Uh, one family lived 30 miles to the east and another family lived 25 miles to the west. And so they never saw each other except on Sunday morning. And so having any kind of real uh, meaningful interaction between those was a, was a constant challenge. We ended up having dinner together after every Sunday service. So that was, that was a good time when we could discuss the sermon. We also had a Bible study um, Sunday afternoon. So, you know, we were able to spend Sundays together, even if we couldn't the rest of the week. Uh, obviously, you mentioned a little bit about discouragement. What, what is, how did you kind of deal with discouragement? Because obviously we know that there's a lot of people uh, who are in ministry who are discouraged, right? It kind of seems to be a, a common case of things that I hear in my conversations with other pastors. How did you find hope in the midst of discouragement, both of you? I'd love to hear. Um, I, I had to realize that I just had to stop worrying about growth. You know, the the... The common, I guess the common conception of success in ministry is growth in numbers. And if you're not growing, then you're not succeeding. Well, that's not, that's not true. Um, it, it finally had to take hold that faithfulness to the Lord and growing in grace and in the knowledge of uh, the Lord is success. That, that that's a successful ministry. When people are becoming more like Christ, you're succeeding regardless of how many people you may have. Because we know that the Lord Jesus' ministry didn't had lots of crowds, and yet at the end of his ministry didn't have many many people around him. Right. 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 So, how how did you find hope and discouragement, Sharon? This just maybe sounds a little unspiritual, but I found that we as a couple needed time together just to spend with each other alone and a lot you know sometimes we would just go off for a day or two and it would refresh us and we could pray together we could just have a little bit of a break um and just come back and you know in that time of being alone and talking with the lord just being reminded that he is with us and he will never leave us and he will bring us through it. You know, all the discouragements long, every every day of our lives. How long have you been married? 42 years. One of the things I have found really encouraging over these last several years kind of watching your life together is that you really do enjoy each other's company. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. You want yes, to spend do. time together. Which yeah. After yeah. 42 years, still desiring to be together, I think is a wonderful picture of God's love. So, <laughs> yeah. um, Well, God has uh, kept you in the ministry, right? So you're, you're not uh, full-time uh, pastoring anymore, but you are still in ministry. Uh, so what is the ministry that you are, are leading now? Well, that's another Long story, but uh, we're working with deaf people in Mexico. Uh, we started a, a ministry called Grace Deaf Missions, 
probably about 10 years ago. I don't remember exactly when we started it. Um, and we've been making trips to Mexico to hold uh, weekend Bible conferences for the deaf in uh, Leon, Mexico, and in Mexico City for about the past six years. No, just, just in general, why would you say um, ministry to the deaf is essential? I would say it's essential because, um, well, for one thing, so little of it is actually going on. I, I believe that evangelicalism as a whole has largely ignored the deaf for centuries. They, they have been always, they're always on the fringe. But even as far as the church is concerned, as far as the gospel is concerned, they've always been on the fringe. They're the last people to people group to have been thought of as needing the gospel. It, it seems that way anyway. And the deaf are everywhere in every country. And if they don't have a language or if they don't have a language that people understand, how can you, how can you share the gospel with them? And when, when we say when, when a deaf person doesn't have a language, we're, we're speaking of uh, deaf people in what we usually refer to as third world countries who have not been taught sign language. Of any kind. So, so you have people who live their entire lives having never had a conversation with anybody. I had a very brief experience ministering to the deaf when I was in Washington, D.C. I started to minister at Gallaudet University and um, walking around the campus just doing a prayer walk. I remember how uncomfortable I felt, right? Because I could not communicate. I, I mean, with words, if you know, even someone has a different language, I might be able to understand a language, give me a dictionary, I can communicate. But with the language is so different. Because they have a language. It's just mm-hmm. a language that is not audible. Well, right? they hear with their eyes. Yeah. You know, we hear with our ears. They hear with their eyes. Um, and even even now, I, I mean, having done this for years, uh, I still feel a little uncomfortable. I, I run into deaf people that uh, either sign so fast that I can't read <laughs> what they're saying, and I have to ask them to slow down and repeat it again and again and again. Uh, that happens pretty often. Uh, sometimes they have vocabularies that that I'm not familiar with, and so I learn new words from them. But it's been our experience that the deaf genuinely appreciate any hearing person that goes to the trouble to learn sign language. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was really encourage, encouraging to me uh, a couple weeks ago, we sang Behold Our God, and of course you taught that sign language class after our Sunday evening service, and uh, 10 or 15 people came to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. You guys learned Behold Our God and how to sign to it. And uh, I was up there in front and we were singing and I saw several people throughout the church signing in worship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in worship to Behold Our God. It was really encouraging. Uh, well, right now, if it, what's probably the most encouraging thing that you've, you have seen uh, in Grace Death Missions in recent memory? Uh, last December, we had the uh, great blessing of baptizing a deaf family. Uh, there's, there was a guy... Uh, oh, come on. Miguel. 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 I always want to say Guillermo. Uh, Miguel. Miguel's been attending our conferences for probably six years. He told us that uh, ever since the first conference that he came to, the Lord had been working on his heart. And so last fall, um, he asked if he could be baptized. And we 
we wanted to make sure because communication is obviously always a problem, even even among speaking, hearing people. But, uh, you know, with the deaf, it, it's compounded. So we wanted to make sure that he understood what baptism was all about and what he was asking for. Yeah. And we were signing in American Sign Language, and we needed an interpreter into Mexican Sign Language. And then Miguel would answer in Mexican Sign Language. The interpreter would sign to us in American Sign Language. So, you know, there's a little bit of, a little bit more difficulty there. Yeah. yeah. So he, uh, I asked him a few pointed questions, and he convinced us that he understood the gospel and that uh, baptism was not the thing that was saving him, but he was he wanted to be baptized because the Lord had saved him, and he wanted to be obedient to the Lord. And so we said, well, we can set that up for you. Uh, and he's he's in Leon. Uh, we're in South Carolina. So and Leon we is in Mexico. Yes, in, in Mexico. <laughs> and so, uh, and we only get to go two or maybe three times a year. But, but we wanted to. We wanted him to get baptized sooner rather than later. So we said, well, we'll, we'll set that up with somebody. Who would you like to perform the baptism for you? And he said, uh, well, I would like the person who loved me to baptize me. And immediately uh, the Lord gave me the presence of mind to say, well, Jesus is not here. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he can't baptize you. And he, he looked at me and he said, no, I want you to baptize me. Amen. It was a great, uh, great blessing mm-hmm. to be able to do that for him and his wife and their teenage son, all three of whom are deaf. Praise God. Well, how can we uh, pray? Uh, any specific needs that we could be praying for for about, about that ministry? Um, well, money's always an issue. Um, you know, the more money you have, the more you can do. Uh, this, this ministry is supported only by people who, who give to us directly, uh, through, through the church. The church handles the finances, but it's not, it's not a ministry of IMB. It's not a ministry of some bigger organization. Uh, Grace Death Missions is basically Sharon and me. Um, so that's, that's a given. Um, but another big need is because we're only able to go two or three times a year, um, we need more continuity. We, we need more const, a more constant presence with the deaf there in Leon. Uh, recently, we were talking with two of the guys who were on our team in Mexico who suggested that they work together and maybe have a conference once a month um, in between the times that Sharon and I are able to visit. And so that looks like that, that might be a good course to take. So we're, we're praying about that and asking the Lord to, to uh, work out the details so we can do that. And a lot of the deaf don't get together unless they come to a meeting. And the past couple meetings that we've had in Mexico have been very, very good. The, the deaf seem to be more serious and more um, interested in what the Bible says, what God's Word says. And they ask questions. They take pictures of the slides that Keith uses during his presentation. Um, we just see a, a, a growth in a lot of them. Well, look at this, something we could definitely be praying about. Mm-hmm. Anything else that we could be praying specifically about you and your family outside of the ministry? Um, 
we moved back to South Carolina from Pennsylvania to help take care of my mom, who's 94. Um, so just uh, that we would minister to her and care for her uh, in these, I don't know if we should even say twilight years. I mean, she's so healthy. She may be around another 10 or 15 years. We also um, live very near our son and daughter-in-law and our granddaughter. And so just that we would be able to minister to them and care for them now that we're here. Um, And then in the church, just that we would be able to minister to our brothers and sisters here at Park. We enjoy being here. We're we're grateful to the Lord for leading us uh, to this to this body of believers, and we thank the Lord for our pastor and for uh, his love, his obvious love for his flock and for us in particular. Thank you. Well, let's uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much uh, for Keith and Sharon and just their love for you and their the grace that you've given them. We pray that you would give them fruitfulness in their ministry. Among the deaf, we thank you so much for a new life in baptism, God. And we know how challenging it is, not only uh, for those who are in Mexico, uh, maybe with a background of Catholicism, but those specifically in the deaf community, how hard it is to take that step of baptism. So we rejoice with them. We also pray, God, that you would raise up um, both donors to help support this ministry and specifically leaders uh, in Lyon who can help establish a regular gathering of the saints uh, for the deaf in um, Christ's name. So Father, we also just pray for uh, Keith and Sharon to be a blessing uh, to Keith's mom as they care for her living uh, next door. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that you'd also just allow them to be a blessing to Brian and Jessica as they, uh, and their little little Sophie. We pray, God, you'd be um, using them to encourage and enrich their hearts. Uh, Father, they uh, have experienced much hurt in life and just uh, walked through that with grace and with your power. Uh, so Father, we thank you that uh, your power is made perfect in weakness. And we thank you that you've taken these weak vessels and you've brought them to Park Baptist Church. We pray that you would use their obvious love for you, uh, obviously love for the body, to enrich and grow our church uh, more and more into your likeness. So, Father, we love you and we thank you so much for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.